Hi, I'm James Atkinson, and welcome to the conversation I recorded last week with Ken Stout and Dave Totes of Goose Island Brewing. Both Ken and Dave have been with the Goose Island business since before it was acquired by the world's largest brewer, Anheuser-Busch InBev, in 2011. A long-time beer industry professional, Ken joined the Chicago Brewer as Regional Sales Director in 2009, eventually becoming its President and General Manager in 2015, and more recently, the President of its International Division. This new role gives Ken oversight for the ambitious international rollout of the Goose Island brand by ABI. Dave Totes, meanwhile, notched up his 10th year as a brewer at Goose Island during 2017. Dave and Ken have been in Australia over the last fortnight for Goose Island's Migration Week campaign, and I caught up with them at Two Birds Brewing's The Nest venue in Melbourne for an all-encompassing chat about their time at Goose Island, the changes they've witnessed since ABI took over, and their impressions of the Australian market. Full disclosure, Goose Island has done some advertising around the Migration Week initiative on the Bruce News website, but this interview was done completely separately. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Ken and Dave from Goose Island Brewing, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us, man. Um, Ken, uh, first of all, I've got to say you've got the coolest name in brewing. It's something I had to get out there b- before we uh, continue. Well, it's, it's my stage name. No. Uh, you know, it's funny uh, you mentioned that, but our former brewmaster, who's still with the company and doing some different work for us, his name is Brett Porter. So if you think my name is cool for the brewing industry, I think Brett Porter's got, got me by one there. But, you know, I'm, uh, I'm half German and half Irish, and my last name is Stout, so what else are you going to do except land in the beer business? you got both Porter and Stout in the same company. That's quite something. Yep. Remarkable. Almost like a couple of characters in a bad novel. <laughs> um, you're out here for Migration Week. Um, for the Australians who have no idea about Goose Island and what Migration Week means, uh, maybe you could just talk about what that initiative is. No problem. Well, geese migrate. And so we decided as we started to expand, and we've been very fortunate to be able to make a lot of new friends for the brewery over the years, not just in the United States, but now around the world. And so what we like to do is to take what we think makes Goose Island a really special place to work, which is uh, the people that, that we get to work with and, and the, the reverence for great beer that, that the employees of Goose Island have. And we like to take that spirit and that camaraderie and that uh, joy of living and love of beer out to our, our new markets to make as many new friends for the brewery as possible. So I think in a nutshell, that pretty much explains uh, what we're trying to do with our, our migration weeks. We're, we're trying our best to make new friends for the brewery. You must be around the one-year anniversary mark or close to in Australia. What's been the reaction to the brand, um, the take-up of the brand so far? So far, it's, it's exceeded our expectations, and our expectations were pretty high. Right, so we, we, we know that there's a lot of great beer lovers here in Australia, especially here in Melbourne this week and, and in Sydney. And so we think that the, the time is right and that the, the mood is right to, to be able to introduce some of our great beers to our friends in Australia and to be part of the, the beer scene here. You know, it's, it's a great emerging beer scene, and there's, with that, there's a lot of room for a lot of different breweries and a lot of different beer styles and a lot of different experimentation. And so we're just thrilled and, and very honored to be part of the, the beer scene here in Australia. 
Um, you launched in Australia with the Midway um, Session IPA, which my understanding is was a specially created beer for this market. Is that something that you've done before with other markets, or is that a first for Goose? No, it's it's nothing we've done in the past, although it is a recipe that we've had around for a while. And, and anybody who's into brewing knows that you, you're, you're constantly adjusting recipes based on availability of raw materials and so forth and so on. Um, and the way we came around with Midway is it's, it's funny. We took something that we learned when we went to London, when we started to, to expand our business in London a little bit, and we led with our Goose IPA in London. And our Goose IPA, as you may know already, weighs in at 5.9 ABV. So it packs a fairly hefty punch. In the U.S., it's a little bit different, 5.9 is on the high end, but but still within range of what, what would be considered by most craft beer drinkers as an everyday beer, <laughs> believe it or not. But what we learned in London was that while beer lovers over in London really, really fell in love with our Goose IPA, that it wasn't really an everyday beer for them. It was a beer that was kind of a special occasion beer, kind of a, or, or something even that you might, you might have on a Friday or a Saturday night, but not necessarily any other night of the week, you know, especially a work night. And so we started thinking, well, we, we need to pay more attention to, to our ABV, right? And it, again, anybody who's familiar with brewing knows that ABV does not, is not the end all of, of having intense, beautiful flavors in beers. You can have wonderful flavors that you can achieve in you know, very moderate levels of, of ABV. I mean, you think of so many of the great pub ales in the UK that weigh in at 3.5 to 3.8 you know, and they're just beautiful beers. And so at any rate, what we decided to do is, well, let's, let's continue to pursue the IPA style because it's a pretty wide range, uh, the, the definition of an IPA. And let's see what we can do with a lower ABV, but yet still full flavored, beautiful um, IPA and, and, uh, and, and test that out. So far, it's been really successful. And, and our Midway IPA weighs in at 4.1%. It's funny you should say that because whenever I go to the U.S., I'm always amazed when I walk into some of the craft beer venues there and I look at the, the, the tap list. And if I'm lucky enough to see what the alcohol by volume is on every beer, because they don't always even tell you, um, I'm amazed uh, by you know, how strong a lot of the beers are and the fact that I can't order them in a, you know, in a smaller glass if I so choose. Thank God for Uber. Uh, but but it's true. It, it it amazes me. You know, I've been in the beer business for 22 years, and it's it's a relatively recent phenomenon. And of course, even at Goose, I mean, we have some some beers. We have a pretty wide portfolio, and so we we try to address a lot of different uh, flavor or, or flavor profile preferences uh, for a lot of beer lovers out there. And, and we have some pretty high ABV beers too for certain types of occasions. Um, but uh, but over the last 10, 8 to 10 years, I've noticed that, you know, when you go into a better beer-centric outlet in the U.S., that they're, probably half their menu is at 6 ABV or higher, right? Now, we think that the, that worm may be starting to turn a little bit, that the beer IQ in the United States is increasing and people are paying more attention to the ABV, that not every beer is created equally. <laughs> but uh, uh at the same time, it, it never ceases to amaze me either. I go out and I look at these beer lists, and I'm like, holy moly, who's drinking these 6.7% ABV beers after work on a Tuesday? <laughs> you know what I mean? The Goose model seems to be very much led by the brew pub, where you know people can come in and experience the brand, and you've certainly opened brew pubs in other markets around the world. Um, you don't have a home in Australia. Is that something that you're looking at um, in the near future or, or have already looked at? We are very, very excited about that prospect, and yes, we're pursuing that that prospect. We think it's really important to have what we refer to um, as a beating heart 
in, in markets where we're being well received and, and that we really want to be part of the beer loving community. And so that beating heart means having a physical place where people can come, meet our people, uh, enjoy the beer, that we can produce the beer on site, do some unique things that we may not even necessarily do at our, at our original brew pub in Chicago. Uh, we don't have to be cookie cutter. Everything doesn't have to be exactly the same wherever you go, um, where there might be a goose brewing property. So, yeah, we're super thrilled at that, that possibility. And hopefully the next time we see each other, uh, we might even be able to do it at a, at a new goose brew pub here in Melbourne. Dave, you've told me that you've been trying to get out around um, in Sydney and Melbourne and, and, and try some beers. What have been your impressions of, um, you know, of the craft beer scene in Australia so far? Craft beer in Australia, it's been really great. We had an opening party, and uh, a lot of the brewers came to that with beer in hand. I had some Pirate Life. I had some Kaiju. I had a whole bunch of beers. I had, obviously, we're at Two Birds now, and I'm having beer, their beers now for the first time, and those are fantastic. Everything's clean, delicious, very much enjoying it. Uh, I haven't had a bad beer yet, and I'm looking forward to finding one because I want to keep trying beers and just finding great beers to drink, so... It's super fun in that way. I could take you to some places if you are. Yeah, yeah. Yes, please. That'd be great. I would enjoy that very much. No, we're actually very happy with how quality's uh, moved in this country, and I think it probably says a lot about um, where Australian craft beer is now, that you're able to go to some of the, to, you know, the breweries that you've mentioned are just putting out excellent quality beer, so you've probably chosen a good time to visit. I'm really hoping so. Uh, one I'm really looking forward to is... Uh, Boat Rocker. I've had the October beer already, and uh, I'd like to see what else they can do. I hear they're pretty large in the barrel age scene here, and it would be great to get down there to see what they're doing otherwise. I mean, not afraid in any ways of uh, another barrel age program that's pretty large, but we have a pretty good sized one too, so that's all right. And obviously you guys have um, done some events with Boat Rocker in Melbourne already. You're working with Two Birds uh, now. Is that something that you do... Um, you know, in the States as well, and, and do do small independent breweries in the States tend to, to welcome Goose Island with open arms in the same way that these guys have? Some breweries, um, again, collaborations are meant to be collaborations. It's, it's beneficial for both sides. We've done a lot of collaborations with various breweries in the States. Some people want us, some people don't. It's, it's a personal perspective. I mean, I want you to like what you're drinking and enjoying, and if... I want to walk into a place and go, hey, I want to work with you, and they're, ap- they're amicable to it. It's great. Uh, if they're not, um, it's, there's, there are other breweries in the sea, and good people to try and good people to work with. And, uh, again, the brewing community is a brotherhood and sisterhood, so it's, you get a lot out of that regardless. And you've been on board um, predating oh, yes. the, the, yeah, yeah. The, the ABI um, acquisition. Mm-hmm. What are the changes that you've seen in the, I believe it's 10 years that you've been at the company? Uh, There's a lot more safety, and that's good. I always appreciate the safety aspect of it. But uh, we've, I've got a lot more brewing toys that are really amazing as far as getting quality in line and this in line and that in line. I have a lot more fermentation space. Um, AB didn't come in to change us. AB came in to buy what we're making we make great beers we make world-class beers and i'm always proud to be able to make those in larger quantities they took a few beers off our hands and they get those beers out in the best way possible um but i get to experiment and innovate and and play with all kinds of 
I've never been told no on malts or hops, so I really love having the, being that as a brewer. I get to, if I want to make an IPA with eight different hops in it, I can name the eight and it's not an issue. I like having that kind of creativity and flexibility. Um, our brewers all have a say in what we start making. We have a program that develops recipes that possibly could get built into nationwide beers. It's absolutely fantastic and it's it's a lot more, I gotta say, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but it's a lot more opportunity than you could get at some places. It's, I feel really lucky to be able to make the beers I make, create the beers, like with, the, with, 20, with multiple other brewers that will jump in and help me and having different brains and all that stuff. I have so many good resources, I can't beat it with a stick, you know? There's obviously a lot of, um, uh, you know, the beer geek community are very excited about the impending arrival, I believe, of Bourbon County um, in Australia. So for people who, who don't really know about the story behind Bourbon County, um, tell us about Bourbon County. When was that conceived at Goose Island? Bourbon County conceived at Goose Island, uh, born in the 90s. Uh, it got to GABF and uh, it was entered into the stout category and they didn't really know what to do with a barrel-aged stout in the stout category. And that's always kind of funny because the next year a barrel-aged stout category was created and our it beer that it disqualified. I mean, getting disqualified hurts a little, but then again, when, when, you create, when you create a style category for future brewers to like build on, it really makes for a great difference. There wasn't the clamor for it until I'd say about 2008 when people really started to hunt for it. I mean, 2008 was my favorite year because I barreled and then barreled it and it tasted like chocolate cake, but that's just me. And um, again, it became just more and more, not of a cult beer, but of a, of a beer that stands alone. It's a world-class beer that I just love drinking, making, enjoying. It really got out of hand uh, in 2011, 2012. Uh, uh, lines around liquor stores, people like sitting. We, uh, we had a guy from Grand Rapids. I met him when I went on the Grand Rapids migration. He got in a tent two days before the sale, and we found out he was there. One year we brought him a, we brought him a Thanksgiving dinner and uh, pizza from uh, Pequod's and all this other stuff. We take... Um, it was amazing that someone would dedicate themselves to going that far to go get the allocation they wanted for Bourbon County. People go nuts over the stuff, and I'm absolutely thrilled about that. I do, too. I mean, as a brewer, I'll get an allocation from the brewery, but if I want more, I'll go out and get it myself. But are we going to be swimming in Bourbon County allocation here in Australia? I don't know. That's not my department. Scarcity, <laughs> Scarcity is your friend. Remember that. And, you know, the one thing about Bourbon County, it takes... A really long time to produce it and as a result you know we just don't have the capacity to make that much of it so but it's about a year-long process to get there so what we do at the brewery is we brew by style an imperial stout it comes out of fermentation what about 10 11 abv somewhere in that range we then transfer that imperial stout into the bourbon barrels that we've curated directly from from the distilleries that we like to to do business with and then we age it in our uh, non-temperature controlled warehouse in Chicago we have four pretty distinct seasons and so what happens when the temperatures are fluctuating like that is that the the barrels themselves the the pores in the staves of the barrels will will expand in the heat and then via that expansion that imperial stout will be able to really penetrate 
into the staves, into the barrel staves, where the bourbon has been residing for 10, 12, 15 years, depending on what age those particular barrels are. So it penetrates all the way down to where the the bourbon actually sat. There's a line in the staves called the bourbon line, right? And you can see the color of it. And so trapped in the wood then, as a result, are all these beautiful vanillins and char flavors and residual bourbon flavors and aroma that because the beer can really penetrate into the staves, it, it can extract all that because then... When it's 10 below zero in January, those same pores contract. And so they, in a sense, they kind of squeeze that beer back into the belly of the barrel. But now, with all those beautiful residual flavors from the Rick, Rick House at the, at the distillery. And that's what makes Bourbon County the, the, the magic that it is and, and gives it all the, the layers of flavor that it has. And Dave, is it a deliberate attempt to make each year's vintage different from the last? Each batch is different. Those barrels may contain more. They may make them more contain less. As Ken said before, about 11, 11-ish percent is about what the beer comes out. Once it goes into barrels and then comes out of barrels, it can be anywhere from 12.9 to 15.1 in alcohol. Some barrels individually will be more chocolatey some will be very booze heavy some will be very just perfectly blended and you just want to hug them and hold them and love them <laughs> but one that i was super excited about was that we got those barrels that had all the mold oh the bedonia, the bedonia. yes yeah. we, okay bedonia like when you go down to tennessee and you go to the rick houses that hold all the bourbon barrels there there is a creeping mold that creeps up the side of the building and that's called bedonia it creates an insulation layer on a lot of things for the for those particular rick houses but it also can affect the barrels in a way and that can lessen the amount of temperature between cold and hot and so as a result as our imperial stout ages in those barrels it's going to be different than anything else and again in the past we would just blend it all together so it might have notes of the bedonia barrels maybe you know maybe not that perceptible but we did it this time, and it was it was it was absolutely noticeable. Yeah, it was so calm and smooth and chocolatey, and it had a bourbon character to it. But the bourbon wasn't like completely obnoxious like it normally is, and it was such a good, smooth, developed beer that wasn't developed as Bourbon County normally is. And again, when you run across those things, it's really special as a brewer. You feel proud. You know, you've got the science. We had our lab checking all. We had our lab checking the bedonia. We had our lab checking the beers. We're getting everything handled as it needs to. That beer was just super good. And I'm gonna I'm gonna steal a quote from Dave when he described that beer to me. He's like, "Okay, Ken, here's here's what's going on with this." He's like, "You know, when you drink Bourbon County Original, um, this is true in the finish." And it's a beautiful beer. In the finish, you get this very strong chocolate flavor. And we don't add chocolate or anything like that. I mean, between the roasted and chocolate malts that we use in the Imperial Stout, and then the combination with the sweetness, uh, at least perceived sweetness from the vanillins and the residual bourbon and everything, it's, it's this really nice chocolatey finish. And he goes, okay, now try this Bedonia dedicated stout. And what he just described was perfect. But the way he described it to me five years ago was he's like, okay, that, that original is dark chocolate cake, right? He said, now try this one. And he's like, what you're going to get here is, now this is fudge. Yeah, fudge. It was fudge. Fudge, again. Yeah. Again, in, in that way where it's just that soft, beautiful, chewy, delicious, rounded beer. I mean, 
it just makes your day when you drink a beer like that. It, the bourbon Did you bring one for us to try, Dave? <laughs> you know, that was draft only. We didn't package that. And that my, I'm sorry, I left it in my other pants. Sometimes some of these uh, these beers, they only, they only live once, man. Barrel-aged beers, they're also so difficult to make, um, and you guys know that from experience because you did have that, that one incident, I don't know, a year or two ago with the very high-profile um, recall yes. of Bourbon County. How did that happen? What did you learn from that experience? Man, that was intense. Uh, that, yeah, it was very intense. It was it was uh, it was gut wrenching. It was nerve wracking. Uh, it was you know I mean not to over dramatize it right, but I mean man oh man, God, it was it was awful. Yeah, as a brewer, I looked at my shoes for about a year. People would be like, "Hey, how's that BCS?" And I'd be like, "It's fine. Now we're working on making really nice, clean, beautiful BCS." It, but as for cause, I've never been really given a good answer. And there was a lot of, I would say, there are a lot of new processes we were working with, a lot more barrels we were using. Where it started, I don't know. But where it got to was a very unfortunate situation. And we did our best to correct the problem in the States. And since then, we've been going through a much more reg- a regimented uh, process to make sure that beer is bulletproof what was cool about it though looking back looking <laughs> as back, a brewer it's yeah, not cool in, in retrospect <laughs> looking back you know when in this barrel aging program like we were never we were never that afraid of doing things at the barrel aging warehouse because man there's not a lot of uh bacteria or or unfriendly microorganisms that can survive in an alcohol environment above nine or ten percent and in this right. case, we found a new bug, which we didn't have media for, that we had to go to a larger lab to find out that it was something. What it even was. Yeah, what it even was. I'm just, ugh. It, it, it boggles and hurts the heart to think about it, but it is super acetatolerance that we ran into. It was just yep. a horrible, horrible thing. I'm, we have media for it now. We can test for it now. It's all very good. Yep. But... We're a better barrel aging program as a result. Oh, ten years of not having a problem. We were very, we were very riding on our laurels and yeah. doing the, doing it the way we've been doing it, and it was a good process. And then our hand collectively got slapped. I guess it shows how young the whole art of you know barrel, yeah. barrel aging is, and how little is probably actually known about it from a scientific point right. of view. But you know, um, our brewing team was was really really graceful throughout the entire oh, process, and there's a. Another uh, podcast in Chicago by a really respected uh, beer lover. Uh, his name is Michael Kaiser, Good Beer Hunting in Chicago. And our brewmaster did several episodes with him to explain what was happening because we wanted to not only discover and uncover everything that was happening in our barrel house, but we wanted to share it with other brewers so nobody else had to go through what we went through. And some of the things we learned were really interesting, and, and, it, and some of them tied back, we think anyway, um, all the way to the to the uh, distilleries themselves, because you know when we started doing our barrel aging um, back in the early '90s, um, at that point in time, every barrel that we got, um, first off, we didn't back then we didn't even have to really pay for them. Right? No, <laughs> we used no, to get we, them for free. Yeah, there were there were a lot of places that were trying to unload barrels, yeah, and the distilleries uh, use them once and they're done with them. Yeah, and we, and there would be a pretty good deal of bourbon left in the oh. in the barrel, right? And so right there, you've got a You've got a disinfectant going on because you've got now 50 proof 
alcohol laying in the not too many microorganisms can can live in that so by the time we get it um we're we're cowboy barrel aging we're doing everything you know and, and everything is great but then within about the last five years or so what we've learned is that what some of the distillers are doing that that all that residual bourbon that's in there what's known as the devil's cut right um is they're saying well why are we getting rid of these barrels when we've got this decent amount of devil's cut in there we can we can filter that we can blend it we can use that so what as a result what was happening is we were starting to get some barrels that were drier than what we'd ever had in the past so we didn't have that disinfectant effect we think that that was part of the reason that the the uh, the aceto tolerance was able to survive because it's pro- probably always been there right it's not a new bug yeah. right no it just couldn't survive before well it figured out how to survive now and and we got it man and uh at any rate what we learned from that it's one of several things and there there are more than just this but now we will only procure bourbon barrels from distilleries that do not run a devil's cut program so we're getting barrels that have a good amount of bourbon left in them which again it acts as a deterrent to bugs like the acetotolerance that we had Sure, and looking at um, Goose IPA, I suppose the two-pronged question, how many countries now is it being brewed in, and you know, what is the process that you guys go through to try and get Goose IPA tasting exactly the same wherever it is brewed? We're brewing it in Canada. Uh, we are brewing it in Australia. Uh, we are brewing it in uh, Western Europe. And, of course, we're brewing it in the United States. Uh, as far as uh, hitting specs and keeping the beer consistent at all those breweries, I'm going to let the I'll let the expert talk about that. We go through many taste panels uh, a week. There's two at 11 and three, and uh, sometimes the taste panels will be uh, beers from around the world. People will they'll ship in their beers and that sort of thing. It takes a couple of weeks for the beers to get from here. Uh, from here to the states or Canada or wherever but we'll have them flown in as quickly as possible so we can sit down and go through that taste panel Um, that taste panel is usually a discerning uh, group uh, led by my brewmaster Jerry Jankowski um, and Keith Gabbett uh, head brewer and I their palates I trust I mean that's the one that's the one thing I can really say I trust about my the brewing staff that I work with they have great palates. They know our beer and they know what it should taste like. And when we have beers brought in from other places, um, you know, such as here or where have you, um, we're, we're very, we sit down and we're very technical on what we on specs. We're going to hit taste profile, all that stuff. We are, we're, we're really dedicated to making it taste like it does in Chicago because we don't want, I don't mind a really good beer. But if it says Goose IPA, I want it to taste like Goose IPA. And it's got to taste the same. That's yeah. the beer, you know, Bourbon County, we've got variants, right? We've got, we've got uh, vintages. But IPA, we need it to be the same every day, everywhere. And so th- this is a big advantage for us when it comes to our, our mothership, our parent company, because, as you know, Anheuser-Busch has breweries all over the world. And one of the great things that we have, David alluded to it earlier when he was talking about his access to ingredients, is that we've got breweries around the world that have quality assurance and quality control standards like like no other breweries. I mean, you know, when you consider any brewery that's making a very delicate uh, lager beer like like Budweiser, 
You know, that's a beer that has no margin for error on flavor profile, right? Uh, and so when you've got brewers and equipment that can brew a beer like that day after day, year after year, perfectly consistently at every brewery where it's produced, uh, and then you throw in a beer like Goose IPA into that mix, we know that, that our specs are going to be hit under our complete direction, right? So, you know, when we're brewing at the Cascade Brewery in Tasmania, uh, our Goose IPA is going to taste exactly the way it tastes when we brew it in Chicago. But the big advantage is, is that for a beer like an IPA, freshness is a premium. To have the beer fresh with our name on it, and Dave doesn't let our name get on it if it's not Goose IPA. It's our malt, it's our hops, it's our water, it's our yeast strain, and now we're able to get it to the beer lovers in Melbourne and Sydney and all over Australia uh, fresh. It doesn't have to traverse the ocean to get here and take a month to get here. And that's, again, yeah, that's so clutch. I mean, putting it in a cargo vessel and shipping it over here, it's not in the best shape it can be. I was drinking, I've been drinking a lot of Midway and IPA while I'm here because I want to know. I'm very, you know, it can vary from place to place and, you know, business to business, but everything's been tasting good. Bottles have been tasting good. Um, they've been, everything's been fresh. Everything's been straightforward. I talked to people about their tap lines. They have great tap line cleaning service. They're taking care of their stuff. It's really, really, really just good stuff and i'm really really pleased with the people in tasmania making our making our beer and keeping it to the quality that we expect but there are other beers that will always be shipped to australia from chicago and these are beers that can travel well for various reasons you know bourbon county stout's a perfect example of that i mean with with the abv landing anywhere between 13 and a half and 15 percent depending on the year and the variant and everything like that you don't have to worry about uh, the the time element you know the be- beers like that will have a, a, a minimum five-year shelf life okay and in fact some people will tell you that the beers uh well we always say they develop over time just to be somewhat careful but a lot of people will say they're improving over time we don't necessarily say that they're improving because that can be very subjective but but bourbon county stout the, the premium on a beer like that is not freshness necessarily it's it, it, some people will sell them on you know on purpose and we encourage that and it's fantastic it's ready to be served and enjoyed as soon as we ship it to market but if you care to take some of it and age it you will notice that it develops just like wines will um and then our other uh barrel aged beers the what we refer to as the sisters our our belgian inspired barrel aged fruit beers same thing we have live yeast in those those beers so those those beers also have a five-year shelf life and uh brewer's yeast as you, a lot of your listeners know already i'm sure are, uh, are is aerobic it thrives on oxygen so even as oxygen enters those bottles the yeast is still living it scavenges that oxygen it develops the beer it produces a little more flavors a little more co2 a little more alcohol um so so those beers you know beers like goose sophie or madame rose or halia uh, those beers, again, those are produced and, and aged in Chicago, and we will ship those to Australia. But those are fine because they have five-year shelf life. It's been a really interesting couple of months in Australia, and I don't know how uh, close you guys have been to the news about um, Four Pines being acquired by um, ABI, becoming a Goose Island stablemate, if you will. Another one of our breweries, Feral Brewing, has been acquired by um, Coca-Cola Amatil. So there's been a lot of changes in the industry. Um, we're also watching over, watching over in um, the U.S. 
Uh, the Brewers Association is becoming even more militant about campaigning on the issue of independence. Um, you, you've obviously been trading for you know a few years now since becoming part of ABI. What, do you, what is your feeling and what is your understanding of how important independence is for consumers when they're making their purchasing decisions? Independence is, is, is a funny word when it comes to business. And I will tell you this as a preface, uh, you know, Dave and I were both part of the Goose family well before uh, we partnered with Anheuser-Busch in 2011. And God, I can't believe it's going to be seven years now. Um, Next March, it'll be seven years already. And so we wouldn't be here anymore because we both take a lot of pride in in what uh, what Goose stands for. And and it starts with the beer. We We take a ton of pride in that. And so... Um, you know, with the Brewers Association, I've got a lot of regard for the Brewers Association. It's done a lot of great things over the years. But independence with a business, I mean, uh, yes, we're owned by Anheuser-Busch. Everybody knows it, okay? And I'm proud of that, by the way. If you have a bank that's financing your operation uh, and and you have uh, the the, uh, the according debt that goes along with that, um, you you don't own it. It's not like the, the, the master brewer or the guy who's got the title of uh, president or anything like that, like owns the brewery. Uh, they, they may uh, have equity in the business from the, 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 you know, on paper, but the owner of the business is the bank, is the financier, right? Uh, but that's considered to be independent. Is it? Is that independent? When push comes to shove and that, that small brewery, and I, I don't want this to happen but that small brewery is making uh, having it hard to, to to make ends meet on a given month or or period uh and that bank starts to look at its books and starts to say hey you know why are you buying that imported malt over there or why are you buying those imported hops over there when i can see you know on the market over here you can buy these more common hops for for half that price so you, that's what you're going to need to start doing because next month you need to make your note is that an independent business David already told you earlier that he has never been told no on any malts or hops that he wants. Yeah, but what about the question of, you know, um, the, you know, the sort of campaigning that the Brewers Association is doing around independence? I mean, do you actually see that that's that's a threat for Goose Island or? I I don't know what independence means. After, after, you know, the scenario I just drew for you. For me, for me, I make great beer. I make great beer every day. I don't have a problem with that. Other people make great beer, and that's great too. I don't have a problem with that. Independent is, as he says, subjective. I make great beer. They make great beer. People can make up their own minds what they want to drink. If, if you, Again, you can drink my beer. You can drink somebody else's beer. But I'll tell you, my beer is going to be consistent every time. And if you like it, you'll keep it in your fridge because it's good. And that's what's important. And that's, 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 it. that's it in the end. We are beer lovers at the brewery. We always have been. You know, there's, there's a lot of us grizzled old veterans uh, like, like Dave and, and like me that have been around for a long time. We would not have stuck around. And by the way, man, I'll tell you what. In 2011, when the whole thing came down, our eyes were wide open. You know, our eyes were wide. I was not waiting for the other shoe to drop. I wanted to be part of the solution, not part of a problem. But I was kind of like, okay, well, let's see, man. I mean... I don't really know what's going to happen. Um, I get goosebumps when I think of 
Is that the first time you've used that line, Ken? Or? No, but I can't think of a better one. I, got, I, I get shivers. I get shivers when I look at Dave. And I think, and I think you know, in 2009, oh, man. man, or take a year before the acquisition, yeah. if, you, if somebody said to you and me in 2009, you know what? Eight years from now, you guys are going to be sitting at a brew pub in Melbourne, mm. and you're going to be getting interviewed on an iP- a, a podcast. Right. And you're going to be talking about how you're exporting now and brewing throughout the world and that the brewery is thriving in ways inconceivable. And we were, we loved it back then, man. Yeah. It wasn't like we're, we loved I mean, it back I can't then. believe some of the we stuff. Were we were 38, we were 30 odd states. We were running around. We were doing, we were doing our best to get beers in the hands of the people that we wanted to get beers in the hands in. And things started to expand and things started to grow and you had to work more and there was a lot of longer hours and more tanks and this and that and growth and growth and growth and then we needed more and that more came at the came at the at the abc yeah and man back in 2010 um our biggest problem back then was that we couldn't keep up with demand and a lot of people will tell you, oh, that's, good a pro- that's a good problem to have. But it can also be the death of a company. It's a good problem to have. It's a better problem to have than having too much inventory sitting on your dock and nobody wants it. All right, that's, that's a really bad problem. We couldn't make enough beer, so we were leaving wholesalers forecasting for beer, and they weren't getting their orders. And then retailers, as a result, they're not getting their orders, right? And so no retailer out there is waiting for you to get your beer to them you know and they're going to hold your draft line no your draft line goes and somebody else goes on so that was tough and and we had to look at options yeah as a brewer in that time we had 19 fermenters and 16 were full of 312 and that was consistent for like seven months we were just trying to meet the orders of 312 and other things were suffering in that way and that's not how you want you need more you need balance you need to be able to get everything out that you can and as a brewer you want to make all that stuff you're just you know you're tooth and claw to make all that stuff for a 24 7 brewery three shifts i mean we were doing our best to get all the ward out that we could and it was hard it was really hard man and um and and so uh, you know, we had to look at options, and, and I was in these meetings, and they were intense, and I can tell you, you know, we were looking at, okay, so should we reduce our footprint and just ship to Illinois only, right? And even if we had done that, because about 80-plus percent of our shipments were going to Illinois anyway, so, I mean, that would have bought us, like, 18 months, right? <laughs> and we would have been at capacity again. And what that would have meant was that, that he would have had to eliminate jobs, you know, we had people working in Ohio and Indiana and Wisconsin, right? And these are people that, you know, we've always had a really great culture at Goose. We had great camaraderie. So these are people, I, you know, I'm still friends with that were in those markets. And, uh, and he didn't want to have their jobs eliminated. And then lo and behold, and it was, uh, I think it was May of 2010, he got called by this little um, company down in St. Louis, Missouri, um, that said, hey, John, we know what you're your situation is we can help we've got solutions you know we can give you unlimited capacity in our brewing system for your more you know for us what would we consider to be our our higher higher volume brands and we can let you then use your brewery in chicago as an incubator for ever more innovative and creative beers than you've ever been able to do and so now we've got we were a thirty thousand square foot barrel aging warehouse now we have 300,000 square feet of yeah. barrel aging well guys we, we can uh, probably keep talking about that 
um, over a few beers. But okay. just very quickly, we're here at Two Birds to brew a beer um, and hopefully brew a great beer. Maybe, Dave, you can just quickly tell us about what you guys are going to be making. Uh, we're working on a wit right now. We have, it's going to be spice. There's going to be a specialty locally, made, locally sourced uh, ingredients uh, in it. Uh, there's a lot going on with it. Currently, the, the ladies here are working on it. One of our own, Brooke Bell and uh, Jane from Two Birds. They're currently knocking that, that beer out. and it sh- I, I'm, I helped put together the recipe for it. Very fun, very easy drinking. Should be a great beer. Great example of the the uh, brotherhood and sisterhood of brewers who respect each other and uh, want to make great beer. Uh, that's that's uh, that's what we're all after in the end. Yeah, Your first time working with finger limes, I believe, uh, Dave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> those finger limes, those finger limes were quite juicy. Tasty, I man. must say, uh, I was chopping them up earlier, and I was afraid to shake people's hands. They uh, they, they saw my hands, and they they just gave me they wanted to give, give me a verbal high five. <laughs> it was quite good. Um, yeah. I love new new ingredients like that are always the best. Using things like lemon myr- lemon myrtle and stuff like that, absolutely fascinating. You're gonna put putting new things into beer that give beer a new shape just totally fun all right well I look forward to trying it and thanks very much for joining us on radio Bruce news oh, thank Pleasure's you ours. thanks yes. for having us man thank you that was ken stout and dave totes of goose island brewing if you enjoy radio Bruce news and beer is a conversation please rate us and leave a review on your favorite podcasting app like itunes we look forward to joining you next time for another conversation about beer